Welcome back, fans of The Changed Podcast, and hello, new listeners of this show. I'm kicking off season two with this episode featuring author Amy Gentry. We recorded this conversation back in November of 2020. Uh, Since then, her newest novel, Bad Habits, has taken the world by storm. I'm thrilled to be giving you this charming conversation filled with stories and surprisingly tactical tips on taking your dreams and moving yourself closer from dreamland to real life. It's enough preamble. On with the show. My guest is the author of the thrillers Good as Gone, a New York Times notable book and Last Woman Standing. She also wrote a book on Tori Amos's album, Boys for Pele, for the 33 and a third series. Her book reviews and essays have appeared in numerous outlets, including the Chicago Tribune, Salon, Paris Review, the Los Angeles Review of Books, and the Austin Chronicle. Holding a PhD in English from the University of Chicago and living in Austin, Texas, my guest is Amy Gentry. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Amy, thank you for being here. Hi, Aiden. Thank you for having me. Um, tell me a little bit about why female is why female protagonists. Tell me a little bit about why thrillers. Like you could be writing anything. You're very talented. Thank you. Well, um, I didn't set out to write thrillers, and um, in fact, I didn't set out to write anything. I was all set to be an academic, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I started out kind of in academia. And then um, after I kind of decided I didn't want to do that after some soul searching uh, and left, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was just completely, um, I don't know, I was in Austin. Um, I had met my husband. And he had known me for a really long time. Um, we actually went to college together. And he you know, knew that I had always wanted to write and sort of suggested that I just think about maybe doing what I always said I wanted to do. Um, and so <laughs> I- Sounds so simple when you say it like that, to just you know, like, do what you always want to do. <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, I mean, I'd love to talk more about all the steps in that process, because I think people, I think people hear about big changes, of course, like that Mm -hmm. and feel like that's something I could never do or it's just massive and intimidating. But in fact, it's the series of steps. Like when you're doing it, it's just this series of steps. Each at each point you have, you know, a kind of limited window of things that you can do. So you like pick a direction and start moving in it. Um, But so for me, that was just I think it was just. I joined a writing group. So one of um, my husband's friends just happened to be looking for a writing group and I joined one of those. But even before that, he, um, I I guess he was friends with a a guy who was starting to edit stories at Culture Map, like um, Mm -hmm. cultural coverage, like book reviews, movie reviews, stuff like that. And he was like, why don't you pitch Mike Grotman, (laughs) you know? And I was like, I pitch, I don't know what you even mean by that. You know, I ended up pitching a story about Dance Dance Party Party, which was like something else I was doing at the time. But it's a, it's a female only dance experience um, that happens in a lot of different cities. Um, And it's just, it's kind of a dance party, but you know, with no alcohol or, um, it's usually in a dance studio with the ter- lights turned off. And the idea is just to like go crazy and dance for an hour or two with um, just friends or whoever wants to show up. And you don't have to sort of worry about being in a club environment or of course, being in a club environment sounds amazing right now. Sure. <laughs> being in a room with anyone sounds amazing right now. Right. But, Obviously um, dance, dance, yeah. party, party is on hold in a physical space for the time I, being. I think it is probably there's some zoom ones going on. You should look into it, but um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I just started kind of pitching stories and doing books coverage and, and such. And, I don't know, I'm, I'm saying it all out of order, but it, it's sort of over a period of several years, you know, I was making these decisions to kind of go toward what I always wanted to do since I was like nine years old, which is write novels. 
and um and eventually i was in this writing group where we were all writing novels i started writing on an idea that i had 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 this idea back in i think 2000 two or three and mm -hmm. it was something I had kind of just written a little bit on like you know I mean that's was more than a decade in the past um, and abandoned and then um, I just picked it up and it had by then kind of turned into something totally different um, but but I didn't even realize it was a thriller I mean that was your original question is kind of why <laughs> thrillers I didn't realize it was a thriller I didn't really read many thrillers I read um, or, or even like mysteries or crime. I wasn't very conversant in the genre. But um, mm -hmm. when I, when the idea kind of came to fruition, like when I was about halfway or more through the book, I just kind of realized like, this is, this is, you know, someone, there's a kidnapping, there's crime, there's murder, like this is clearly turning into some kind of a thriller. And around that time, uh, luckily for me, um, I had, I also read a little book called Gone Girl, <laughs> which you may uh -huh, have heard yeah. of. Yeah, 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 that book was really big around that time. And I, I read it and was so impressed with it and with some of the techniques that she used. Um, and really, it's because of that book, there was a huge boom in like female driven suspense and thrillers. Um, and it just happened that, you know, I had a female driven suspenseful book uh, to sell. So that part maybe is a little bit more like just pure luck. Um, yeah, that, that that there was a market for the thing that I ended up writing. Um, but even at the time, you know, I told my my agent and um, an editor at the time, uh, you know, I love I actually it turns out I really love suspense. I love mystery and and thrillers, especially uh, sort of domestic thrillers, um, mm -hmm. female driven and feminist thrillers. But, um, you know, it's probably not the only thing I'm going to write. I mean, I, I want to write all kinds of things. And I have written like another in another genre already. I wrote a nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I will probably write more of these books that I love so much. But I was like, I don't know, I'm going to want to write what I want to write. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's so totally who knows fair. what that will mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love listening to you describe that there's steps involved, um, but also luck. And I often think that these big, these big sort of momentous changes, like career changes or life changes where you move across the country. It's this weird combination of taking small steps in a direction, like making a choice and moving forward on that. And then, and then, like you said, like a little bit of luck, a little bit of like right place, right time or wrong place, wrong time sometimes yields interesting results, but there's like a, a, a recipe that we don't mm -hmm. always get to mix ourselves. So <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I tell people, I, a lot of people um, ask me about, you know, like how I got started mm -hmm. and, you know, writers like to get advice about this sort of thing. And I always say, you know, there's just think of it like, um, there's, uh, you know, you're rolling dice, like so much of it is luck, you're rolling dice. But on the other hand, um, it's about how many times you can afford to throw the dice, right? Like maybe the first time you roll the dice, you get, I don't know, what's a good dice roll? <laughs> Ten? I, I snake don't eyes? I don't know. <laughs> no, I think snake eyes is bad. Well, anyway. Is snake eyes bad? I don't know. Yeah. Just, you, roll, you roll sixes. I don't yeah, know. you roll sixes. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So maybe like the first time out of the gate, you just happen to hit and that's amazing. Um, but in reality, you know, usually it takes more than that. It may never happen. You may have infinite dice rolls and you just have the worst mm -hmm. luck in the world. Um, but, you know, where privilege kind of comes into it and resources comes into it is in how many times you can you can roll that dice right yeah so like you know uh, it's that's a good way of explaining to me that's a good way of explaining how it's both luck and also privilege that drives these things right so you know when i tell people you know when they ask me like how they can kind of get started 
I often tell people to marshal all their resources, like look around in their, in their world. It's like, well, you know, if you have money, great. You can afford not to, not to work full time and work on your novel or whatever. That's great. Um, but maybe that's not an option for you. Mm -hmm. So, well, do you have family members who can watch your kids? Do you have, you know, like, what do you have that you can leverage into, you know, do you have a partner who can like, let you take one night off to do, you know, this creative work, whatever it is, because it's not just writing, but um, whatever it is, you know, that you want passionately to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like, ultimately, I think anybody who's in a creative career or has made like a mid-career or late-career adjustment like that, um, you know, everybody knows that it's a lot of hard work if you've gone through it and mm -hmm. that there's a lot of like pitfalls, you know, and not everybody has the bandwidth to make their passion, you know, their, their whole life. Um, and not everybody wants to choose that path, but like, you know, if you do, it's important to kind of look, to have a clear eyed look at the, the role of the resources that you have in your life and you can like marshal every resource uh, versus just pure luck, like, oh, Gillian Flynn, may, <laughs> you know, changed the entire publishing landscape with her novel, like just right. a, a year or two before I had my novel in the same genre. So like that I had no control over. But another, I think, um, that's, a, I think that's a really smart bit of wisdom that, uh, you know, the conversation around privilege is always tricky for me because I'm I'm of an age, we're probably the same age, Amy, but no, I yeah. think you're younger than me. It doesn't matter. The point being, like, I'm always afraid to dive into the conversation and it does play a role. But that being said, there's also, I love these practical pieces of wisdom. There's action that people can take um, mm -hmm. to to move forward on on dreams they have or you know, or once I mm -hmm. met a woman at a conference many years ago who had a, had a really successful book and mm -hmm. nonfiction. It was like one of those books that's like tidbits of life advice. And she mm -hmm. literally wrote it in 10 minute stints because I asked mm -hmm. her about it. I was like, how did you write this book? And she, yeah, she wrote it like when she got 10 minutes, like the kids are eating lunch at the table. She's going to stand in the kitchen and write 10 minutes mm -hmm. worth of something and the reason it's a book of just like small bits of wisdom little poems uh you know snapshots of this a, a grocery list like for whatever reason it really mm -hmm. hit with the buying audience and then she got invited to as a keynote speaker at all these conferences to mm -hmm. talk about like the stuff in her book and it was incredible but it started so small yeah because that was literally all she had was 10 minute stints that she could do anything yeah, have yeah, the, and the she luxury at, to sit and, and the computer and stare for hours and wait for story to arrive. Uh, yeah, I think about that all the time now that I, you know, I've been writing full time now for, I guess, four years or something. And uh, even so, you know, I'm constantly complaining about how like, oh, I just, you know, I haven't had any time this week to write and like, you know, it's so difficult. And I mean, I did have a kid three years ago, so that did change a lot in my yeah, like yeah. time landscape. But um, yeah, you know, I think of all the time about people who have, you know, who are single parents who have, you know, really demanding jobs and just don't have the time or the bandwidth to do much more than have these 10 minute segments. But yeah, it's part of, you know, part of this conversation is, being extremely transparent wherever possible about how people achieve what they achieve. Mm -hmm. So never downplaying the resources that did help you get where you are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for example, in my case, a partner who had insurance and was able to like, you know, take more of the load. Like I was, while I was doing all this freelancing and writing this novel, I was working a lot of jobs, but they were not high paying jobs. Like I was piecing together my part of the income with these like, gigs and you know yeah and like waitressing and teaching high school and doing all this like patchwork but I you know if he had not had like a stable income with insurance that wouldn't have been an option for me I would have had to get like a real job with um with insurance and such so you know it's like wow. yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, so there's a lot of flexibility involved on both your parts there. And, yes. you know, and you brought this up um, before that this was like, this is a big change and there are steps involved. I'm curious because we're already throwing the word change around. Yeah. I'm curious, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it means so much. I'm curious when you hear the word change, like in the context of this conversation, what, yeah. how would you define if you were going to give a definition of change? any change comes to mind yeah like i mean it's a big old fat word it is i think with so much meaning the first thing that comes to mind is just inevitable that that change is just an inevitability so we're always changing constantly whether we want to or not Mm -hmm. and there's no such thing as staying in the same place even if you feel like you're in a rut you're always getting older and things Mm -hmm. around you are changing so i think it's just inexorable. <laughs> um, I, I think it can feel, I think it's very scary because it's something we, we can't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people cope with that feeling by trying to keep things, you know, as under control and the same as they, as they can. Um, yeah. What's your other personal people- <laughs> relationship? What's your personal relationship to change? I mean, and I love it. (laughs) Yeah, full disclosure, like we met and then you took an improv class from me many years ago. (laughs) I couldn't even remember how we met, actually. That's where we met. You were an improv student of mine for, you know, for a minute. Like I remember trying to convince you to go to the next level. You were like, I think I have had what I need from here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's hilarious how as a person who espouses uh change and risk taking and stuff i'm like yeah i'll take a pass on improv no thanks <laughs> it's like my husband is fantastic at it uh but uh but yeah i'm i'm like yeah i just wanted to see what all the fuss was was about you know <laughs> <laughs> but that but yeah. was during my exploratory time i mean when i was taking that oh, class cool. part of the reason is because you know i had had this conversation we were having hard conversations all the time at that point because i just I had been training in a PhD program for six years to for that's that's professional training to become a professor. And if you don't become a professor, there's not a whole lot you can do with an English PhD as lovely as it looks after your name. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after we decided, you know, I was like, well, I don't want to leave Austin. And he was like, I don't either. So that means we I mean, pretty much I have to leave this profession and I was kind of done with it anyway. I was just really worn out. Um, But I didn't have any ideas. And he, I think he said, you know, we looked, we sat down and we like kind of looked at the numbers and our expenses and what we were doing at the time. And he was like, well, we can, how about we, you can take like maybe one month to have no ideas at all. Like you don't have to do anything for a month and maybe, but maybe for three months, you can just do anything you want. Like just do whatever, like, you know, (laughs) chase like butterflies, you know? It's such a like mathematical approach to something that's completely non-quantifiable. But I think it is. I mean, this is the thing. I, I really like to demystify this stuff because it's dollars and cents and space in your house and time in your life and years and health, you know? <laughs> These are the things that go into the ability physically to pursue your dream. And I think one thing that chases a lot of people away from the idea of pursuing their dream is that they hear this sort of, you know, people like me who are very like, woo woo, like mystical type people (laughs) (laughs) who just love taking big risks or whatever. They hear Uh people like me talking about it and they're like, well, but that's not how I am. I need like a solid life and I just could never be like that. So it's clearly not for me. But I think, you know, I don't think it would have worked necessarily for me until I was ready to approach it in a more, it's methodical is not the right word, but just until I had a a partner in my instance, who was just really capable of like holding down some of that more like practical stuff and just talking it through, not even like, I mean, the support obviously very important. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that we are living together, so our expenses were less and such, but even just having someone to talk about it and 
you know, come up with that number of like three months. I tell people that all the time now. I say, break your life into quarters, you know, <laughs> just have a quarterly goal. You know, you have your long-term goal of like, well, I want to be a best-selling author or whatever, but right now I'm a lawyer or whatever, where I don't have a job or I work at a restaurant. Um, so let's see, like, what could you do in the next three months? Um, because the, that interval seems really um, key to me. Like it's long enough to make a difference in your life, but it's not a whole year. It's not half a year. It's a season. By the end of three months, you can like take stock of what's happened in the last three months and just kind of be like, well, what's the, what's the verdict? Where are we going to go next? Uh, you know, and you can like correct correct course if you need to or say this isn't working honestly i don't really mm -hmm. want to do it anymore i'm gonna go back to doing this other thing um so yeah mm -hmm. that was like it was like three months of chasing butterflies and i took singing <laughs> improv and i talked to um karen dewitt about like having like a cake decorating business i thought about going into cake decorating <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I guess I was probably working as I went back and started waiting tables and did uh -huh. some other like weird odd jobs and just explored. I applied for all kinds of weird jobs doing random things. So I just did not know what I was fit for at mm -hmm. that point. Um, and yeah, somewhere in that mix, the idea kind of came to me like, well, there's there's local press. I know how to write about books. So maybe I should start writing about books for local press. How would I go about doing that, you know? Um, and that was really, you know, I mean, the first article I wrote for Culture Map, which was about Dance Dance Party Party. I think that was a cold pitch, actually. I don't even think it was to Mike. Uh, it was like through their website and I got paid <laughs> maybe $30 for it. Hey. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And I, I for like That's a year. That's freelance money you're describing. Oh yeah, it is. It's like, you know, for, for how many hours of work and research, you know, yeah. like um, I never made it culture map for those pieces. I never made more than 20 or 30 or $40 a pop. And then it was just kind of, but from there it, it just started to look more, it op every time you get to a different place, even mm -hmm. if it's just a small stepping stone, like the perspective is different from this stepping stone. Like now you're closer to a different one, you know, and like your all your options change every time you take a step in any direction. So even if there's like no way you can get to like your destination from here, you know, like that's why it's so important to measure your agency in terms of you know, what you have right in front of you, not in, not in terms of like an impossible goal. Um, and I yeah, I mean, I, I, okay, well, let me tell you one other thing that I did that I think probably other people have brought up before, but have you read okay. The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron? You know what? I yeah. have not, but okay. I am super familiar with its, um, its place in the lives of a lot of really respected people in my network, um, you know, friends but also extended networks so i know that it's a bit it's been an impactful book for many it has for me too i am one of those people during the butterfly chasing phase i was also um i went to a like a women's group of just a few people like a few friends basically and we did the artist way together and that book i have to say it's very woo woo it's very a lot of it is kind of ridiculous but uh -huh she talks about this very phenomenon. She's very good at describing to you, kind of evangelizing for this idea of just kind of becoming really open to, you know, to like any little thing that might kind of enter your, your radar. Um, she's just really good on, you know, taking advantage of things that you might have not even noticed before, like sort of readjusting your worldview in order to encompass this like new goal set of goals that you have. And yeah, I mean, I, I still do a lot of the stuff in her book that she recommends for like an artistic practice. I still do to this day. And that that's been, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago, almost, almost uh -huh. 10 years probably. So that is another thing for me. 
That's awesome. Well, so one of the things I like to do with my guests is I like to have you tell a story um, from a specific moment in time, a fork in the road moment in your life. And when I ask people to identify these stories, for some people, um, they're like, I have too many stories and I'm going to tell you all of them. So it's going to be hard to pick. Give me a, give me a second. And for other people, they're like, I don't know. My story is just my whole life is my story. So they have trouble mm -hmm. identifying like a moment that was a fork in the road choice. So I'm wondering, Amy, if you have a story that you might tell us of a moment in your life where everything changed. Yeah, I'm clearly the person with too many. Um, <laughs> I would love for you to tell us a story of one moment in your life. Yeah, this was, this was, um, I guess I was fresh out of college, maybe. Um, I had already made a series of stupid choices <laughs> that led to my, um, like I had already moved to Portland, Oregon and moved back because because I, I don't know, because I was having whatever drama I was having at the time. And um, when I came back from Portland, I was sort of washed up and tired. I'd been trying to be a novelist, to be honest. I had been trying to be a novelist and I just couldn't make it work. And I came back home and uh, was like sleeping on my parents in my parents' spare room and then my friends' sofas, trying to like figure out again what I was gonna do. And I re-met this guy that I had always had a crush on my entire college life. He was like, in my heart, I, the first time I saw this guy, I was like, this is him, this is the one. Um, spoiler alert. I'm not married to this man. <laughs> I, uh, I, but it was the closest I've ever come to falling in love with someone at first sight. And uh, he was my roommate's friend. He was not interested in me, um, but low key the whole time I knew him because we had a lot of like, you know, we would hang out all together. I just had this like deep and abiding crush on him. And uh, and then later, you know, all the stuff happened later and I came back and met him again. And for whatever magical reason, it was like, he just saw me and suddenly had the same feeling about me. And we had this, what seemed to be a magical whirlwind romance. I know these words sound ridiculous but again this is like you know it was like it was like taking a drug I mean this was like the only time I've had this kind of experience and uh I was so determined like I knew this had to be the one because it was fate I mean clearly right like I knew it and then it happened and um Honestly, there were all kinds of things like he was moving away in a few months and um, and then after a, I found out that he was um, he was like returning to his religious faith, which was uh, Mormonism and that was not my religious faith. I had none and like the obstacles kept popping up and I kept smashing them down because I was so sure, you know, that, that based on this feeling um, that he was, that we were like meant to be. And I, I this, you know, must have continued for like a year. We were long distance, then we weren't, then we were, you know, like all this tumultuous stuff happened. And then, and then it was Christmas, it was Christmas or New, New Year's. It was New Year's Eve. <laughs> and I had gone to visit him. He was like with his parents in Utah in like Salt Lake City, Provo. And I was staying with them as like visiting, meeting the family and such. And I just 
knew, like I can't remember how, but I just knew he had a ring for me. And this was like all I had wanted for, I mean, I actually had bought a wedding dress. I had like, yeah, I mean, this is, I was really, <laughs> and we had at this time, you know, we had the religion thing was a huge obstacle and we had cried about it. We had talked about it. We had, you know, I was trying, he was trying, we had gone through all this stuff, but I just knew that this was it. And he was like taking me for this like romantic evening. I mean, romantic to him evening. He's, we were going to go see the lights the Salt Lake City downtown, like Tabernacle Lights, right? Which again, it's like maybe a sign that we were not super compatible is that this was the height of romantic to him and terrifying and not fun at all to me, right? Just the idea kind of made me like, ooh. And uh, the whole evening we had dinner and like it just felt kind of sick at my stomach the whole evening. And I could tell he was like waiting. He didn't know when to do it either. And he was really nervous. And then we got all the way to like the square, you know, like we saw all the lights and stuff. And I just was like, he was like, well, I haven't given you my, your Christmas present yet. And I said, is it a ring? It's a ring, isn't it? And that was it. That was all I needed to say because, and he said, in my memory, it's so um, crystal clear, actually. He just said, oh, Amy. And we just started crying. <laughs> and I have to say, I know this is a very dramatic story. It's like one of the most dramatic things that has ever happened to me. And But part of the deal with this relationship is that it was so, it was so intoxicating and high drama, you know? I was so high on the drama all the time, even though I thought what I wanted was for everything, for all the obstacles to be out of the way and for us to just be together. You know, <laughs> in the moment when it was really happening, it just something in me just knew, like, like it wasn't even an option to say yes. And I think about that moment, I mean, for a long time, I didn't know what that moment meant. I mean, I didn't, in the moment, I didn't even realize we were going to break up because <laughs> I was just like, oh, I'm just not ready right now. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure we can work this out. Let's keep working on it. <laughs> and he was like, no, we're clearly breaking up. He had to actually move across the country, you know, to get away from me because I was so sure we could still make this work. <laughs> even though I had turned down his marriage proposal. And that's the moment. I think that's a moment when, I mean, it changed everything in a really literal way because I would have married someone not compatible with me um, because of hormones, basically. <laughs> um, and because of like fantasy, because of my yeah. following butterflies nature. You know, I was really wrapped up in a fantasy of, of what love was supposed to feel like. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't do that. And I think, um, but I think it also, I just kind of go back to that moment um, periodically to remind myself that I, I can trust myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I've made yeah. a lot of stupid decisions just being myself, you know, I've like mm -hmm. bounced around and taken a lot of risks. Um, and I like high drama and fantasy, but I think at, at bottom, I know, I don't think I'll ever get that close again to just letting the fantasy overtake the reality. And I, I mean, not to be like a cautionary tale, but you know, I think that was one of the many things I had to go through in order to kind of see positive changes in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. Amy, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, you know, it's, you really painted a picture. I could just see you with these lights, like, and how romantic of a setting he imagined that to be. And how, uh, oh, like, I can feel the heartbreak of those shared That's tears awful. as well. 
Oh, I'm yeah, sure. I, I think he, I mean, I could have ruined his life too. That's the thing. Like, I mean, I don't, I don't keep in touch with that person, but my understanding is that he is happily married to someone who shares his values and has the life that he wants and that yeah. he was transparent about wanting. I mean, he always said he wanted these things and I was like, no, but. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it has been my experience in life that, um, Men in particular are really good at saying out loud the things that they want and mm. believe, and they're really good at predicting how they'll behave in the future. They just like <laughs> say it out loud. And Tell you who they are. They yeah. do. It's really a cool quality. Um, <laughs> and general, and this is, of course, a huge generalization. It's just been my experience as a cis woman um, who's only dated men. So that's the experience that I have to draw from. Um, so, you know. It's funny you it's, should say that. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Were you, you, were you finished? Or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, am I ever? I love talking, but you know, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's just been my experience. It's a yeah. limited experience because I yeah. haven't dated women. I don't, I don't yeah. know uh, if it works the other way around. I think it's just funny when I hear it because I, I don't have a problem saying what I want usually out loud. Yeah. Um, and I think I didn't even then. I, maybe I have trouble hearing other people when they tell me that stuff. Yeah. And I think if anything, I have a tendency to, I, ha I have a, an ability to, to spin a, I don't know, a spell, you know, I think, I think mm -hmm. I, people, I think in that case, that guy was really trapped in my fantasy to a large degree mm. of, you know, how, what we could be. I mean, I think he, he liked or loved me too, but I think he had a more realistic idea of our incompatibilities that I was like, you know, like it was like sustaining <laughs> to both of us. I was producing yeah. this like romantic aura. And I think that's actually also like a, that's a, obviously can be incredibly useful to be able to spin that a feeling for somebody. It's great for a storyteller. It's a very, very good trait to have as a yes. storyteller. Um, but it's also kind of dangerous. Like you can get, you can fool yourself and you can fool even other people without even intending to. Um, yeah, I don't know. But. Well, you alluded to it a little bit, but what do you think would have happened if, if you had accepted that gift? Do you think you would have actually gone through with a wedding had you, you accepted that initial proposal? You know what? I don't think so. More and more, I think, especially having gone through a wedding with like a real person who's now my husband <laughs> right? <laughs> that I actually am super compatible with. Um, yeah. And knowing all that that entails. No, actually I like to think I would have, there would be a million chances to say sure. no to it. And I think the closer I got to it, the more I would see. Um, but it's funny because I've done other things like go to grad school mm -hmm. and get a PhD that are like not dissimilar to marrying a Mormon in that they were not <laughs> the right thing for me. <laughs> and you know, like I had to get that ring. Like I got that diploma. I went all the way and got, I got yeah. married to, uh, to the Academy and then, and then was like, no, nope, ending it. I got to, I got to cut and run. <laughs> And so, <laughs> sorry, it's a really funny expression. That you <laughs> um, what do you think? Uh, I mean, you know, okay, that. So, two things. One thing that popped into my head immediately was this idea of wedding as a test for marriage, because I think mm -hmm. if you haven't been through a wedding, there's this sort of romantic idea of what a wedding is. And if you've been through a wedding, um, what it really is, I feel like I'm pulling back the veil now. No one's going to want to get married. But what it really is, is a <laughs> test to make sure you actually want to be married to that person. Because if you can get yeah. through the wedding process, yeah. you know, and still show up and be like, I'm radiant. You know, it's like. <laughs> I don't know how you know. radiant I was by the end of that process. I think I was pretty right? like, oh. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a strangely stressful process really the wedding stressful. planning process it's just um, like putting on a play yeah it's like putting on a, a really insane play 
Yeah, an insane plant that's only <laughs> going to last for, you know, a few minutes. Yeah. And then be followed by a giant party. Party. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the couples who are getting married this year don't really, like, they don't know the... I And I don't want to, this is really callous of me to say. I know what you're going to say. I'm re It's really callous. But, but I, in many ways, just, I don't know, it's probably wrong. In many ways, I think that this is a great year to get married because keeping it so Love small it. and like not being able to do the things yeah. that are expected of you. Um, yes. Like there is some freedom there it's a silver lining to a very dark cloud is maybe the best way to say that because um obviously getting married this year would carry with it all kinds of other stressors that we didn't have to deal with so I, you know i, I think it's very brave reality. of you to say that aiden i really do i think like i really really i admire you for saying that because i i feel like i I really commiserate. I mean, I, I empathize so much with all of the people mm -hmm. who are like having their, uh, particularly if they've financially invested in their weddings, usually they have. That part I, that yeah, point. that part I feel yeah, very that sad. that stinks. They're like losing deposits and all that. Um, and they want to see their parents and have their parents there or whatever. Like it's horrible for all those reasons. But I did find myself recently, like a couple days ago, talking with some people on social media about how, you know, I mean, for me in retrospect, my wedding is like the least favorite thing that's happened yep. in my marriage. You know, it's, I wouldn't say it's the worst day of my marriage, <laughs> but similar to the way that like a lot of people have very wonderful childbirth experiences and um, I am mm -hmm. so happy and, and not at all jealous of those people um but for me like one of the worst days of my life was um this ex it was an incredibly like difficult traumatic labor culminating yeah. in an emergency c-section and like you know i'm i'm happy that some people don't feel that way about it but for me i'm like yeah that was my least favorite day of of my baby's life <laughs> of my mm -hmm. child's life yeah and it's kind of you know i it was worth it it was a very important day because now i have my kid who i love but that's how right. i feel about the wedding too it's like it was just this unpleasant thing that had to be got through the difference is um no they both cost a lot of money they both cost a lot of money <laughs> and um they're both very physically demanding and people mm -hmm. tell you that both things are so amazing and that you're just gonna love them. <laughs> At least people are honest about one of them being yeah. physically painful. Yeah, but they but, don't um, tell you half of it. Like you don't, no. I, and I haven't, I haven't given um, uh, birth to a fully developed baby, but mm. um, I will say that my friends who have gone all the way um, have shared some details with me that I'm like, why would anybody, this is why they don't tell you because you wouldn't, you wouldn't have weddings and you wouldn't have babies. This is why people don't tell you. People would still have babies. I'm not sure they would have weddings because there's, mm -hmm. there's only one way. Well, actually there's multiple ways to have a child, but one of the leading ways to have a child is to give birth. But being married to someone does not actually require a wedding, you know? Right. So I feel like yeah. if people were really honest, a little bit more honest about like their actual feelings on that day and leading up to it and afterward, then yeah, maybe I, I probably wouldn't have listened if people had told me that stuff. Um, even I, I thought I was being very cool about the wedding too. That's mm -hmm, the funny part. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, we're going to do a lot of it ourselves. It's no, going to be a giant mistake. <laughs> yeah, the, everything about it. I was like, we're it's we're not going to get sucked into this like machine, you know. Yeah. It's like it's all going to be really special to us, and it's going to be about what we want. But it's actually, truthfully, that makes it like ten times as hard if you insist on breaking it into a series of individual decisions that are all meaningful. You just quickly lose your mind because it's so much work. You would have to devote your life to it full time. Whereas like, if you just kind of don't care that much and you just throw a chunk of money at it and are like, okay, put me through the bride machine. Now I'm a bride. Yep. Like then you actually, at least you have more sanity, I think.
I think that's probably um, but, true. Know. I wonder I wonder what else in our universe is like that, you know? Like um I think what's interesting is people have this constant desire to change what it means to have a wedding. Um mm-hmm. I think I think that's something you and I have in common. We were like we're we want we want it to feel personal and we want it to feel meaningful and that's actually what the marriage is. It's personal and it's meaningful. Yeah. It's like the, the definition of personal. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody had told me a wedding is a costume party, it would have been a totally yeah. different experience yeah. in planning it. And that's essentially what it is. Yeah. It's a costume I mean, party. It has its moments. It's really good I, cake I mean, thing- if you do it right. I made my own cake like an idiot. Oh my God. How have we not talked about cake? Okay. So Amy, (laughs) this is, and this, at some point we'll wrap this conversation up and I'm going to have to make some serious edits, but um, I have to talk to you about your cakes because your cakes are incredible. Um, Thank you. Is that a new thing? When did you start doing cake? No, I started doing it when I was a child. I mean, you mentioned talking to Karen Jane about baking. Um, And for people who don't know who she is, Karen Jane is an incredible uh, baker. If you're not following her on Instagram. (laughs) The Instagram. The Instagram on the interwebs. Come on, Grandma. (laughs) Um, If you're not following Karen Jane on Instagram, you should, because uh, she has a lot of great stuff that she posts there from time to time of the baking that she does. So you've been baking since you were a kid, I'm going to be posting, yeah. by the way, a picture. Not baking, on the sh- just decorating. Well, I'll yeah. be posting in the show notes one of your Sesame Street inspired oh. character cakes because um, it's just so cool. Yeah, I, I know it's just all about, um, I am not actually good at baking. That is a common mistake. Uh, I use cake mixes and um yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm okay at it, but uh, I just like decorating. And I started doing that when I was little because I found my mom, my mom's Wilton yearbooks. They're like, Wilton is like the cake decorating. They were like big in the 70s. Yeah. And now all the techniques have really moved past Wilton. Now there's all this YouTube stuff. But um, <laughs> I found her old like book, like magazines, yearbooks, things. Uh-huh. And I just would like read them obsessively because they were just pictures of like amazing cakes. It's like a book full of just cool cakes. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading them and like, and I, I knew that my mom had the supplies from her class that she had taken like before she went back to work. Um, and yeah, I just, so I just started playing around with it. She got me started and showed me how to do the stuff a little bit, but I was like obsessed with it at a certain age. And then just like probably starting in seventh grade is when I really started like making real like decorated cakes. And then um, I, it's just something I go back to every once in a while. I don't like, I mean, now that I have a kid, like that's, that's like the whole reason for cakes you know like having a kid is such a good excuse to just spend like they take me like eight or eight hours maybe like 10 or 12 if you if you count like supplies and preliminaries and stuff um and design also it can take like more like 12 hours but um the actual decorating takes like a solid six to eight hours to do usually Um, so I don't, I don't do it all the time. And I don't even like at this point in my life, I don't really want to eat a bunch of like icing. I mean, I I buy other people's cakes that taste really good, you know, but my, my cakes taste great for a, to a three-year-old. I mean, they're, they're still tasty. (laughs) They're like a cake mix with like icing on it. So it's going to taste good. But by the time I've been decorating all day, I don't even really care about eating it. Um, Anyway, so yeah, it's that's, a piece that's of all. Art. I've made wedding cakes. Awesome. I've made, yeah, it's a piece of art. It's a, it's it's a, a form of, of self-expression. Can you imagine if you had never found those Wilton yearbooks? Like, if my mom had thrown them out and like, and like yeah. if she hadn't like pack ratted them away. Yeah. <sighs> That'd be really You'd sad. have to have some other form of artistic expression. I just do, I like to do a lot of things. Like, I like to do a lot of little things. I do... A little music, you know, little instruments. I I like to write songs. I like to, I just, I'm not great at any one thing, except I think I'm pretty good at writing. And that's, that's why I've always felt like that's where it really is. But I, I well, get Well, and the world easily. seems to 
the world seems to agree <laughs> with you being we'll good see. at writing. Um, yeah, they haven't seen my amazing cakes. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, they will now. Um, well, Amy, I super appreciate you taking a bunch of time and effort. A lot of time. I'm sorry. Way too much time. Nonsense. But. It's always a pleasure. We, you know, I've had a handful of conversations with you over the years, but they're always awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, same, I, same you know, goes. I would talk to you more, but, but I'm not going to. <laughs> okay, cool. cool. But here's well, what I, yeah. here's yeah. what I want to say. I just want to say super thanks. And also, um, is there any, like, are there any last thoughts or reflections on this idea on this idea of change or on what it means to become a writer or on decorating cakes that you want to share uh, with anyone before we go? Well, they actually all, I'm going to bring them all together into one succinct bit of wisdom. So just sit back. Uh, <laughs> but I think actually I do, I have been thinking that um, we've talked about a lot of big momentous kinds of changes and like yeah. the things that we do to mark those like the wedding you know having a child moving across country changing your career yeah. but to me it kind of comes back to uh that that idea of just every big change is actually a bunch of tiny changes and you don't have power over everything that happens to you in your life but there's always like a very narrow range of choices, you know, and if you can pull back and if you're feeling powerless to change your life in a positive way, and you can pull back and into that really micro arena and just be like, well, what am I going to do, you know, today or tomorrow or this week or in three months, you know, that's how I think that's a way to, if not gain total control over changes, at least to feel happy about them and integrated with them. Um, that's been my experience. Not unlike making a cake. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't go down that analogy, but I could if I wanted to. I could tie it all together. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, thank you so much. So Bad Habits, February February 2nd. 2nd. And you can always get um, my first two books, Good Is Gone and Last Woman Standing, wherever books are sold. And I encourage you to go to your local independent bookseller for them. Same Z's. You'll have a link to Powell's in the show notes here because that's my local bookseller. Um, awesome. And it's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. As for you, Amy, thank you so very much. What a great conversation. Thanks. Big changes happen step by step. That's the thought that I'm left with after this conversation. You've heard me say it before, and you'll probably hear me say it again, but life is a thing that is in perpetual motion. Pick a direction and start taking steps, and then take the time to observe all the small changes happening along the way. I like as well Amy's suggestion that if you want to make big leaps, that you don't have to do it alone or quickly. Take stock of the resources you have available to you and then set a small quarterly goal instead of trying to take a giant leap towards the next big change in your life. Amy Gentry's latest novel, Bad Habit, make sure to pick up a copy from your local bookseller. If you don't have one, you can borrow mine and order online from Powell's Books. You'll find links, of course, in the show notes for this episode at thechangedpodcast.com. The Changed Podcast is produced by me, but I don't do it alone. Special thanks go to my family for their love and support, to all of you for listening, to all of the amazing Changed Podcast Patreon page members, The Art of Change, Skills for Life, and Patreon member producer, Dr. Rick Kirshner. Thank you for listening to The Changed Podcast. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about. 